This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates and this is The Full Story. Australians know their government changed hands at a time of instability, uncertainty and volatility around the world and here at home. And today, through this parliament, I want to explain to Australians what this means for you. Wherever you turn, there seems to be bad news for Australia's economy right now. High and rising inflation, falling real wages and a trillion dollars of debt that will take generations to pay off. Inflation is soaring to record highs, the cost of essentials continues to grow, Petrol's about to get more expensive. And this week... The Reserve Bank of Australia has lifted interest rates for a historic fourth month in a row, bringing the cash rate to its highest level in six years. The RBA so, how long will these conditions last? And what is Labor's plan to ease the pressure of cost of living and turn the economy around? Today, does Labor have a plan to fix Australia's economy? It's Thursday, the 4th of August. So, Peter, we've had a few updates on the state of the economy over the past week. What is the picture that we've been given? Well, look, it's fair to say that uh, depending on your weather analogy, it's either going to get gloomier or the uh, headwinds are going to get stronger. Peter Hannum is Guardian Australia's economics correspondent. But things are actually going to be turning down. Talk me through that. What does it look like for the average person right now? What kind of things have we are we seeing? Okay, so we're seeing the highest uh, inflation rate really in decades. That's one thing, and we'll know that every time we go shopping. We're also seeing um, higher interest rates, and this is the highest uh, sort of batch of rate rises by the Reserve Bank since 1994, and they're really only getting started. Mm. The third uh, part of this probably is if you've uh, been paying attention to property prices, they're now starting to fall in uh, most of the capital cities. And in Sydney's case, really at the fastest pace uh, since uh, before the 1980s, if you can look even that far back. Uh, thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker. I'll ask leave of the House to make a ministerial statement relating to the economy. Is leave granted? Leave's granted. And uh, amidst all of this sort of flurry of economic figures and the like, the new Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, introduced his... Uh, economic statement, a state of play, trying to like tell us just how bad things were. This is about giving you the best sense we can of what is really going on, because there's no use tiptoeing around the pressure that people are under. You know what we're up against. You see it every day at the supermarket, in your pay packet, when the electricity bill arrives. And you didn't send us to this place to bury the bad news or gloss over the glaring issues or wish away the warning signs. And I guess um, trying to draw a line under the previous government and say, that was their problem, now I'm going to try to work out where we go from here. Right, and how long is this poor economic outlook going to last? Are things going to get worse in some of these areas, Peter? So look, the famous phrase, uh, everything's going up but your wages, it's actually something to that. And as far as uh, the government uh, is telling us, we'll see that pattern, which is basically we're going backwards, uh, continuing for at least another year, possibly longer. Basically, uh, we won't see inflation peaking until the end of the year. That's what the government's telling us at this stage. And that'll be about 
8% compared with uh, around about 6% that we're seeing now. So there's still a bit more to come on that front. Um, and that includes in the next, uh, well, next month, we'll see the end of the uh, fuel excise holiday. So that's going to slap another 22 cents on a litre of fuel when that ends uh, right at the end of September. And look, we know that part of the reason uh, prices were going up so much was all those uh, natural disasters we've had in the last uh, few years, but um, particularly this year with the floods uh, in parts of Eastern Australia. Now, the forecast for that isn't really great either. We're basically seeing conditions favoring above average rain with another La Nina event uh, by the end of the year. So um, all those wet areas are gonna stay that way and perhaps we're going to see more disruption uh, on the farm front too. Mm. We've started to see as well the beginning of a sharp rise in electricity and gas bills, and I think we've got quite a way to go there because uh, the wholesale prices uh, in the June quarter would triple from uh, a year earlier, and that'll take a little while, but um, with all the disruptions in the electricity market, uh, I think we're going to see quite a lot um, steeper increases in electricity bills than we've already seen. Mm, So food, energy bills and petrol are likely to rise in price for a bit longer. Yes, look, um, there is a a kind of uh, light at the end of the tunnel, but um, we've got quite a bit of tunnel to go. So Peter, you mentioned that the Reserve Bank has raised interest rates for the fourth time in four months, which is pretty historic. Why are they doing that? So look, with inflation running at the highest rate in at least two decades, the Reserve Bank is trying to make sure inflation doesn't kind of get embedded. People kind of expect prices to keep rising. So by lifting interest rates, they're increasing the cost of money. So we really want less of it. We will borrow less, we'll spend less, we'll invest less. And that slows the economy, takes some of the heat out. That's why the Reserve Bank is lifting rates. Right. But raising interest rates is pretty bad news for homeowners. Can you break that down a little? So basically, there's about a third of the population that has a mortgage, and most of those mortgages are on variable rates. And so whenever the uh, Reserve Bank raises the cost of money, which is what they do when they lift the interest rate, the commercial banks are pretty quick to pass that on in full. But in any case, for those people with uh, home loans, they're seeing pretty much uh, on a $500,000 loan, for example, about nearly $500 more per month that they've got to fork out since the Reserve Bank started raising interest rates in May. And I think, as we mentioned, they're not finished. The one thing that uh, the Reserve Bank and the government would point to is that during the COVID years, which uh, are probably also not over, the uh, household sector did stock away something in the order of $250 billion uh, of extra savings. So that's the buffer that they talk about that households can draw down to meet those higher expenses. But of course, that uh, buffer wasn't evenly shared. So a lot of people don't have that uh, extra uh, store of funds to draw down. Right. People who are really struggling over the past couple of years wouldn't have saved, right, Peter? That's that's not really a buffer that everyone can rely on. Yes, that's right. So there's a, a chunk of the population, probably uh, a quarter, wouldn't be a miss, um, that is actually kind of looking at Struggle Street and that street's getting harder. So Peter, this is a pretty gloomy picture that you just outlined. What is the government doing about this? And did we hear much from Chalmers in his speech last week about their plan for the economy? 
Well, really, he was all about like telling us how bad things were that he inherited. Now, Mr. Speaker, our new government has begun its work in this time of serious uncertainty and the substantial challenges as I've described them, with a trillion dollar handicap in our saddlebags. The budget we inherited is bursting with waste and rorts. It's booby-trapped by expiring measures and it's burdened by long-term demographic challenges that come with critical and necessary spending. He didn't really tell us much about um, new policies. And one reason is they don't have any, as in they're waiting for this uh, new budget in October to kind of lay out um, the changes of policies and the like. Uh, but going into the election, uh, they had limited uh, amount of immediate relief, for example, for cost of living. They talked about um, lowering the cost, for example, of prescription and uh, prescriptions and childcare. Uh, those things are sort of in the works. They also talked about um, lowering the cost of energy by uh, promoting or assisting, enabling uh, more renewables to uh, enter the electricity market. That, of course, takes time. So really, um, there wasn't a lot of sort of immediate relief new policies uh, in that uh, statement by Jim Chalmers. Mm. The Treasurer also spoke a lot about how he had inherited this problem from the previous government. Is that fair and is that true? Well, look, there's no doubt that um, during the COVID period uh, when the federal government did throw hundreds of billions of dollars to kind of stop the economy from contracting, as did many other countries, um, it has left a big debt bill in the order of a trillion dollars. And that's actually, uh, Chalmers noted, that's the uh, going to be the fastest increase uh, extra bill, and that's repaying the debt. Because A, there's a lot more debt, and we've got rising interest rates. So kind of the thing that's going to be adding to um, government spending more than pretty much anything else uh, will be repaying the debt. So that's part of what he laid out. What do you make of this, Peter, that the Treasurer's first economic update contained no details of new policies to help solve the economic situation that we're facing? So a, a new Treasurer doesn't really want to sort of lock in extra spending, which will limit his ability to move, particularly, say, come the election in about three years' time. So I suppose um, it depends on what your expectations were in terms of Will we hear new relief? Will there be a new sort of uh, you know policy mix that helps to lower the the bills for average people right now? Well, there wasn't really much in it, uh, and that's really opened a way for the you know opposition to say thanks for the picture. What are you going to do about it policy wise? Why is the government in such stasis, Peter? I mean, what is behind their thinking when it comes to their plan for the economy right now? Okay, so I think there's a political and an economic constraint. The political one for Chalmers and the rest of the government is they've got election promises uh, to try to keep. So whether it's a stage three tax cuts, which are a little bit over the horizon, which will sort of throw money at the middle class, where you could reverse that and like maybe uh, divert the spoils to uh, people who are actually struggling more. That's one restriction. So the kind of promises that went into the election. Among those provinces actually was the uh, plan to uh, let the uh, holiday on fuel excise um, tax, which was a, a 22 cent per litre saving. That was going to go for six months. It cost the Frydenberg-Morrison uh, final budget 
$3 billion for those six months. So the easiest thing is like, let that holiday expire. Stop spending those $3 billion for every six months. Yeah. They don't want a long, costly fuel excise sitting around as one of their first big economic decisions that they make as government, right? That's right. So look, probably there'll be some other targeted temporary change uh, that they can introduce, but uh, one that um, doesn't have a kind of like a, you know, extended uh, dent on uh, future budgets. Right. So the government doesn't want to go back on their word on tax cuts and the fuel excise. They were pretty critical of those measures when the Morrison government introduced them initially. What are the economic restraints that they're also concerned about? The Reserve Bank by raising interest rates, it's tapping on the brakes. It wants to see things slow, some of the heat taken out. And it won't be helped if, on the other hand, you've got the federal government spending more money because that'll actually be, you know, effectively tapping the accelerator. So uh, that's a restriction on what Chalmers can really do, um, which is one of the reasons why I think you won't see much in the way of extra support for cost of living uh, expenses. Are there any levers the government could explore that wouldn't break an election promise or the economy that would bring some cost of living relief? So, look, I think with uh, soaring electricity and gas and petrol prices, I think the population's wondering if there isn't like a a very big cow there waiting to be milked. Mm. And that might be in the form of uh, some kind of a windfall profit tax. What is a windfall profit tax, Peter? Oh, basically, you've got. Effectively, um, producers in Australia, no change or very little in terms of the cost of extracting uh, the very same generic product. And yet, because of uh, circumstances somewhere else, that war, um, the price has gone up. So really, for them doing nothing at all, they're able to reap a much higher price for, for what they're extracting from the ground. In the UK, they've actually intervened to grab, rake some of that back. So... Um, it doesn't all sit with uh, the companies. So far, we haven't really seen anything from uh, the government uh, in terms of introducing such a tax. They're trying really not to talk about it. Mm. But I think um, when people start to see, A, all these higher prices, electricity, gas, and so on, come through, but also when they hear that actually they might face shortages next year because these companies are greedily sucking all this gas up, for example, Mm. and any spare uncontracted gas, they're very happy to ship overseas. Meanwhile, um, we might actually have shortages at home. In an energy-rich country, that doesn't sort of sit very well. And what I've certainly welcomed from the ACCC this week uh, is effectively looking at Uh, this situation that we've got at the moment that's simply untenable in terms of the way that we've got multinational companies extracting an Australian resource, selling to international customers at a price that is hurting Australian industry and jobs. On Wednesday, we heard from uh, the uh, Science and Industry Minister, Ed Husick. He told ABC Radio... And what the ACCC has done to the gas producers is try to shake them out of this pricing bloodlust or frenzy that they're they're in at the moment and get them to get real. That um, multinationals are, in fact, uh, involved in bloodlust, was his word, and uh, we're going to have to take some hard action. So you, you can hear sort of a change in language actually uh, fairly uh, inflammatory in its nature. Do you think it's likely, especially considering the rhetoric that you mentioned, that we're hearing the government talk about the bloodlust of these companies? 
Well, look, the language is beginning to change. You know, that is something which might be kind of attractive for a new treasurer. Is there some way that uh, you can, you know, go after these multinationals, get them to pay a fair share of um, all that extra revenue coming in? Maybe a bit more of that should um, be spread around to Australian consumers. Next, the signs that Australia's current economic woes could get better. For people who are really, I suppose, struggling with cost of living and the kind of gloomy forecast that you you gave at the top there, Peter, I mean, is there any hope looking maybe further forward in the future as to how Australia's economy is looking over the next couple of years? Look, we should really emphasise, firstly, nobody at this stage, at least from Treasury or the RBA, nobody's talking about a recession in Australia. So the economy will keep growing, at least according to these forecasts. The other thing is we do have unemployment at uh, you know, 3.5%. I know there's always a question about one hour worked a week, you know, underemployment, all those other kind of um, qualifications. Right, whether the unemployment figure is necessarily showing the full picture, right, Peter? Yes, that's right. So, you know, taking that into account, though, at 3.5% at the moment and possibly heading towards three, if not below, um, there's still sort of pent-up momentum uh, on jobs. And if if people do get regular um, income, possibly, uh, you know, fatter pay packets, you know, that's much better than the alternative of being, you know, jobless and, and scrambling to, to find the, the next paycheck. So, on the one hand, you've got the uh, unemployment level at very low uh, amounts and only expected to go up to about 4% by the end of 2024, so the RBA told us on Tuesday. So that side of the story is quite a positive one. There's also a hint, uh, and it's really only at this stage a hint, that maybe um, something of uh, the, the peak in inflation is becoming you know, in view, perhaps by the end of the year. So conditions, if uh, people can sort of work their way through it in the next uh, four or five months, they may start to see, uh, you know, some relief. Petrol prices may come down globally if if uh, the war disruptions uh, kind of ease back, and, and we have seen that uh, in the last few months. And another couple of things. We know that, um, for instance, COVID disrupted so much, we should see the sort of supply disruptions kind of ease back so that things that are not available in the supermarket shelves will start to come back. So that's going to help on the price front uh, on the one hand, but also things like uh, for foreign students, for example, you know, they were asked to leave during the COVID years. They've uh, done it pretty tough in many cases. Well, they may start to return. Uh, That's going to be sort of helpful for university uh, coffers and also for whatever extra spending they bring back to the economy, assuming they do come back and for a longer-term sort of benefit. Migration, which turned negative during COVID, so we're actually you know, exporting people rather than importing them for a change, we should see debt migration come back. Productivity Commission, you know, they talk about how uh, migration has kind of been a, a plus in terms of helping to lift uh, living standards. To the extent that that comes back, um, we've got another tailwind for the economy in the future. So, um, look, maybe the worst... Uh, is not that far off and we might actually uh, 
be uh, seeing some ease in uh, those cost of living uh, increases. Right. And what about wages as well, Peter? This government has come in promising to lift wages. Will we see them rise in the long term? Yes. Well, look, um, it's going to be a while before wages start to uh, kind of increase at least the pace uh, uh, of inflation or, or exceed it. So from the updated forecasts that uh, Jim Chalmers gave us last week, we won't see wages growing faster than the inflation rate until the fiscal year ending June 2024. So it's not this financial year, but it's the next one. So effectively, the government's saying, you know, be patient, uh, workers, you're going to go backwards for another what, nearly two years. But beyond that, uh, you'll start to see uh, wages rising faster than inflation. Now, those are the forecasts. But, you know, we have to keep in mind that with unemployment so low, you know, we're talking about the lowest since uh, the mid-70s, there's actually more bargaining clout from the uh, employee side for the first time, really, in probably a decade or or more. So perhaps... um, it might be one area where those forecasts miss out, that um, in fact uh, we start to see real wages rise faster uh, and and sooner uh, than the government's forecast. Mm. So it sounds like some key things are going to get better, but not for another year or maybe two. That's a hard message for the new Labor government to sell, right? So look, um, I think Chalmers' basic message is, you know, be patient. Things will get better. The economic picture I've set out today represents a convergence of challenges, the kind of which comes around once in a generation. But this once in a generation challenge represents a once in a generation opportunity for our country as well. The opportunity to build a better future. And that's why our agenda is a multi-year effort for a multi-generation benefit. And uh, what he's got and the government has is a certain amount of goodwill that uh, you know can be uh, drawn upon for a while. So look, um, get through the next six months is kind of what he's saying. You know, the the light on the hill actually will be um, one of improving conditions if you just uh, wait around long enough for that. We'll just have to see whether um, you know the the populace is as patient as he hopes. We have it within us to stare down these threats, to steer our way through this difficult period and seize the opportunities of this new age with an economy and a budget as resilient as the Australian people themselves and with optimism and confidence that our best days lie beyond. I thank the House. I give the call to the Manager of Opposition. That was Peter Hannum, economics correspondent at Guardian Australia. You can read the latest from him about gas prices and interest rates at theguardian.com. And we've linked to his work on the Full Story page as well. This episode was produced by Jane Lee and Joe Koning, who also did the sound design and mixing. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Matignoni, Gabrielle Jackson, Molly Glassie and me, Laura Mafiotes. OK, catch you tomorrow. <laughs>